Good to see you. My name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors, and I want to welcome you here tonight. And if it's your very first time, I'm excited that you're here with us. And just pray that God meets you in a powerful way. And so one of the things we do here at Rocky Peak is we just love the Word of God, and we spend uh, considerable time each week unpacking it. And so we're going to be doing that right now. Inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. I encourage you to take that out. That'll help you follow along. And then if you're all ready to go, I'm going to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here because we sense your presence. And when we meet, Lord, we sense you speaking, uh, whether it's in worship or through your word, through prayer, through the videos, through the different things that happen here. We sense your voice, and we, we want to listen. We want to follow. We want to grow. We want to be changed. And we want to learn not just to believe the gospel, but to live the gospel. And so we pray that today as we continue this journey, you'd meet us in a powerful way be with me as I share. May the words be clear and true. Um, may we have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to his church. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today in a very small room. And uh, he's been here for a long time, uh, at least months. And the sun is beginning to come in. And as he wakes up, He's sort of slow to wake up. He's been sleeping deeply. And as he's coming awake, he realizes that he's been having a dream. But it doesn't take long for him to realize that the dream is not real and for him to realize with startling clarity that he's in custody. It's where he's been for a long time. And his future is very uncertain. The charges against him, he knows are false. But there's some very powerful political winds at work. And there's a very sophisticated uh, conspiracy that's against him. And so he can't wait to get his day in court and to share his side of the story but to be honest, he's not sure it's going to make any difference. There's too much at stake. Too many powerful people are at play. And so on this day, it begins like every other day for the last several months. That as he faces the start of the day, he doesn't know what the future holds. He's not sure how this story is going to end. Well, today, we continue this journey that we started a couple weeks ago called The Gospel. And uh, for those of you who are new here, um, not only I want to welcome you, but uh, this is a series that's based on a letter from a man that we call the Apostle Paul. He's one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. And um, he's writing a letter to some, to some close friends, uh, people that he's led to Jesus, that are at long distance away, 850 miles away, um, that he led to Jesus about, many of them, about 10, 11 years ago. And, uh, and so uh, he loves these people. And in this letter, more than any of his other 13 letters that we have in the New Testament, he uses the word, the gospel, more often per page or per paragraph or per word than any other of his letters. 
And yet, as we've seen in this series, that his concern is not only we understand this epic message that we call the gospel, that as we've been learning is so much bigger and brighter and bolder and higher and deeper and wider and richer and more compelling than we often understand. But his goal is not just that they understand the epic message of the gospel, but they learn how to live it out in their everyday lives. So as I've often said that the goal of this series is to learn not just to believe the gospel, but to live the gospel. So if you've been here the first two weeks of this series, what we've done is we focused on the initial greeting and then the first half last week of the introduction to his letter. And today we're gonna finish the second half of that introduction. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter one. And we're gonna pick it up at verse three just so we get the context for the entire uh, intro. So Philippians chapter one, verse three, uh, if you've got your apps, turn them on or whatever. So uh, in verse three, he starts off, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So we're gonna see this throughout this letter that, that he has a deep affection. Many scholars believe that the book of Philippians was actually written in the style that in ancient time they had different forms for different kinds of letters. There are many scholars that believe this was a form of a friendship letter. And uh, we're gonna see that affection throughout. And so it says, um, I thank my God for you every time I remember you because in, in all my prayers for you, and one thing we're gonna see today is that prayer is a big priority for the Apostle Paul. And he says, so I'm praying for you often, but I always pray with joy. Like you just bring joy to my heart. And the reason is, is because of your partnership. Remember we learned that word last week, your koinonia, your sharing. That when we come to Jesus, we enter into this fellowship with one another, the spirit. And so this word koinonia speaks of this deep sharing, partnership, communion. And he says, because of your partnership, your koinonia, your sharing in the gospel from the very first day that I came to you over 10 years ago until now. And of course, one of the ways that they've shared with him, as we learned last week, is they've, they've recently sent him uh, a large financial gift, very generous gift, to support his ministry and help advance the gospel. So that's a big part of this partnership. They're helping fund the movement of Jesus. And so he says, I'm, I'm uh, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, and so we saw last week that the gospel is supernatural. Do you remember that? We used that analogy of flip, flip this house, that when, when a man or a woman comes to Jesus, it's a supernatural event. No one comes on their own. God begins the work. He continues the work every step of the way. He identifies your house. I'm gonna buy that house. I'm gonna flip that house. Comes with a design for that house. And he's gonna carry it out. He's not gonna run out of money halfway through. And so he said, I'm confident that he who began a good work and you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until Jesus comes back and, and finishes it in the new creation. And so he says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, and I love you dearly, and whether I'm in chains, and that's the first mention of this, right, that, that Paul is in chains. So what we believe, there's different opinions on this, but, but I think um, the opinion we're gonna go with for this series is that he's in Rome, that Paul is in Rome. Whether he's in, uh, under house arrest, like we see at the end of the book of Acts, or whether he's been moved into a prison, we don't know. He does mention several times in this first chapter his chains. And so it seems to be under a, a very serious custody situation. As we'll see next week, he doesn't know what the future holds. 
Uh, he is awaiting a trial date. So he's the guy in our opening story. He's awaiting a trial date. Uh, he's looking forward to making his case, but there are powerful forces against him. He's not sure whether he'll be released, retained, or executed. We'll see that next week. Um, and so one of the good things about that, though, is when you're in prison, you have a lot of time to think. You have a lot of time to reflect. You have a lot of time to study if you've got your scrolls, and you have a lot of time to pray. And so he's going to share what he's been praying for them in just a minute. And so he says, so uh, it's right for me, verse seven, to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share that same word koinonia, you share in God's grace with me and God can testify, he knows I'm telling the truth, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I just, I love you and it's not just my love, it's Jesus' love, the Jesus, his affection for you that, that he's put in me. And so that's where we left last week and so now he's told us he's praying, he's told that every time he thinks of them, he's full of joy, he's told why he's so full of joy because they're sharing in the gospel. Uh, He's told him he's, he's confident that God who started this incredible work will continue it, but now he's ready to tell us what he's praying for. And in this moment, we're gonna get our first insight into one of the big issues that's going on in Philippi that we'll come back to later. But for now, what he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. And I, I love this, uh, this word for abound in the Greek. I won't go into great detail, but it's a word for, for, that really means to fill or to like to overflow. And so he says, I, I'm praying that your love, you're an amazing church, you know, you've always had this incredible koinonia, shared love of Jesus, you've shared it with me, you've been in an amazing place. I'm praying that that love just is more and more, but then he says something really interesting that you abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So it's one thing to have more love it's another thing to have smarter love. It's one thing to really love someone and sincerely want the best for them, but it takes knowledge and depth of insight to know what best for them looks like. So he's praying not just for more love, but smarter love. And then he says, so that you may be able to discern what is what? Yeah, so if you have smarter love, you can discern what's best. And if you're growing in love, the end result is you'll be pure and blameless at the day of Christ. That, that if you're pursuing a life of love and growing in love, that'll lead to a life that's pure and blameless when you stand before Jesus, which is the ultimate goal. And he said, and another way of describing that is you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So we don't really use talk like that, but in the Bible, you've often noticed this. One of the most common metaphors the Bible uses to talk about our spiritual life is fruit. Right? Like Jesus said, by their fruit you will know them. Uh, a man planted by streams of water, his, in Psalm 1, will, will be like a, a, a man who abides in the word, will be like a man who uh, is planted by streams of water that bears fruit in every season. So you see this over and over. It's a great agricultural metaphor in an agricultural world, right? And so what he's saying is that if you grow in love, um, that this will lead to a pure and blameless life that's characterized by your, your life will be like an incredible fruit tree that gives the right kind of fruit, great fruit, 
and you will be, when Jesus comes back, your tree will be loaded, right? So he said that you'll be um, filled with the fruit of righteousness, all, you know, all that's good and right and true that comes through Jesus Christ. So remember what we learned last week, the gospel is supernatural, that our, our growth is supernatural from beginning to end. So this fruit of righteousness, it comes from Jesus Christ. He who began the good work Will, will continue to produce this good fruit in your life. This is why in Galatians, Paul refers to it as the fruit of the Spirit, right? This good fruit that the Spirit produces in our life. And he says, and then the ultimate goal of all of this is that you're living a life of love, your life that leads to a life of purity, full of good fruit. The ultimate goal is that it be to the glory and the praise of God, that your life would reveal the beauty the power, the wisdom, uh, the love, the compassion of God. And so, so that's the passage. Now, what I want to do today as we unpack this is I want to focus on three key words that Paul uses in this, uh, in this section, in this prayer, um, that uh, help us understand uh, what it, help us understand the gospel and help us understand what it looks like, as Paul says at the end of chapter one, to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, all right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called um, the gospel, three key words. I thought I've been making you write too much, so I'm just giving you three words. Um, so number one, the first word that jumps out at me is prayer. So as you read this intro, one of the things that jumps out at you is how important prayer is to the apostle Paul. Now, some of you will remember us from our last couple series in Pursuing God and Rooted. We talked about this, how, how prayer is how we partner with God to bring the kingdom of the heavens to earth. It's, it's, it's how we partner with God to bring his will to earth. And, uh, and so Jesus taught that. Paul models that. And one of the ways you see this in Paul's life, what a priority it was, is whenever he writes, often in, in his letters, he talks about how I'm praying for you. And, um, and so, for example... Uh, you see this often in the beginning of his letters. I just put three examples there. First Thessalonians 1, look how it starts off. He says, we always thank God for all of you and we continually mention you in our prayers. Right? You're just kind of seeing he's modeling his life of prayer. Uh, the next one, Ephesians 1, uh, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Look at 1 Timothy 1, I thank God as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. And so as you read the life of Paul, you see what, it's very obvious that prayer is a high priority for him. For, for him, prayer is how you get things done. And so it's a very high priority. But what's really interesting to me as you study Paul's prayers is not just the priority that prayer plays in his life, but what he prays for when he prays. Like, what, what is the priority in your prayer? You see what I'm saying? Not only is prayer a priority, but what is the priority in your prayer? And what you see uh, in Paul's prayers is that what's really interesting, is you, if you study Paul's prayers, is he is not usually praying for circumstances. He's not usually praying for health. He's not praying for their finances. Um, what's interesting, he's not even praying for their safety, even when he knows they're facing severe persecution, like in Philippi. 
we're going to see one of the two or three top themes in this letter is to stand firm under persecution. And yet in his opening prayer, he's not even he's not praying for safety. He's not praying for protection. What we'll see later on, he's, he's going to pray for courage. You see? And so what you see in Paul's letters is that, that when Paul prays, I want you to catch this, his number one thing he prays for is spiritual transformation and the advance of the gospel. And you see that here in this letter. Let's, let's look, there's a great example of it here in Philippians. So let's see what he prays for. So remember, they're suffering persecution. We'll see that later on. But he says, this is my prayer that you're what? You're, oh my, that was so <laughs> weak. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay, bad timing on my part, yeah. Like, it's like don't talk with food in your mouth, right? Don't ask questions when you're writing. All right, okay. That's my bad. I apologize. All right. Okay, let's try it again. So verse 9, this is my prayer that your what? Your love may abound. And why does he want their love to abound? So that they can live a pure and blameless life filled with righteousness. When Jesus comes, they'll be transformed people. And why does he want that? So that, when, when, uh, that their lives will, will lead to the glory of God. You know, there's not one thing about their finances. There's not one thing about their health. There's not one thing even about their safety, their protection under persecution. That Paul is praying for transformation. He is praying for the changed life. And can I tell you something? That is usually what he prays for. I think of Colossians chapter one. This isn't on your note sheet, but if you want to just, uh, write down Colossians one, uh, let's just say like verse nine to 12, something like that. Okay? So, uh, but it goes something like this. He said, I'm praying for you that, that, that God our Father would fill you to the top with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So you know how to please him in every way and live a life that's worthy of the Lord. Amen. And he says, and this is what it'll look like. You'll be bearing fruit in every good work. You'll be growing in your knowledge of God, your personal relation with God. You'll have great endurance to stand up to persecution and you'll be growing in your thanksgiving to this amazing God who's made this whole thing possible. Right? I think of Ephesians chapter one where Paul says, I, I'm praying for you that the eyes of, he says, I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so you would know the hope of your calling, the reality of the future, what's coming. You would know God's inheritance in the followers of Jesus. So as you would know, the amazing thing God's doing in this community of Jesus is gonna rule with him forever. You'd realize what a gift it is to be part of that community. And you would value and love one another what a gift you are to one another. And he says, and I'm praying that you would know the power that's available to you as followers of Jesus, the power that raised him from the dead. I think of chapter three of Ephesians where he says, I'm praying that God would open your eyes so you would know the love of God. You would know the love of Christ. You would know its height and its depth, its width and its breadth, that you might be filled to the fullness of God. I think of 1 Thessalonians 3, where he says, I'm praying for you that God would increase your love, that he's taught you how to love you, increase your love. What you see time and time again is that Paul's 
passion in prayer, his priority is spiritual transformation, is the advance of the gospel, and it is uh, the glory of God, all right? Um, Now, he's not against praying for everyday things. In fact, when we get to Philippians chapter four, he'll say, here's the rule. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about, right? So can you pray for, oh my goodness, his test? Yes. Like there's nothing too big or too small to pray about. Hey, but there are some things that are more important than others. And the things that matter most are the things that are going to last forever. Who you are, who you're becoming, who the people in your family are becoming, what this church is becoming Are we pleasing him? Are we not pleasing him? Are we being transformed to be like him? Do we know him? Is he using us as a conduit of his love and power to a hurting world? You see, these are the big things. And so as followers of Jesus, part of growing up and living a life that's worthy of the gospel is praying large, right? We pray for things that matter. We pray for things that when Jesus comes back, they are going to be the most important things. And so the first word that jumps out at me is prayer. And Paul wants us to understand as he starts this letter, there's two things, the priority of prayer, how important prayer is, he's modeling that for us, but also in prayer, what's the priority? Now, number two, the second word that stands out to me is the word love. I won't ask you a question right now. It's only four letters, though. All right. All right, good. They're ready. Front row is ready. Everyone's got to be ready. All right. Um, Yeah, so... um, this is the, Paul's initial request. He really, in his prayers, we'll see later, he's gonna make like three requests that link to one another, like, like links in a chain, or like I think of them like a waterfall with three successive waterfalls. They all go together. So he's gonna make three requests, but his first, uh, his first request is love. And so he says in verse nine, I pray, this, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And so we talked about this. It's one thing to grow in love and compassion and concern, but it's another thing to grow in knowledge and depth of insight. For example, if you're raising kids, you may love your kids to death, but if you express that love by letting them do whatever they want, enabling all their bad behavior, never holding them accountable, never disciplining them, and doing their science projects by yourself. (laughs) Like an eight-year-old did not do that, right? But you're doing that because you love them and you want to succeed. So you love them passionately, but you are not loving with wisdom, with depth of insight. And so when it comes to love as followers of Jesus, it's not just more love, it's better love. It's wiser love. So for example, just think, when, think, that, think that part of growing as a follower of Jesus is not just caring more, it's knowing what is best 
which is exactly what Paul says, right? He says in verse nine, he says, this is my prayer, your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of it, so you may be able to discern what is best, right? So sometimes, just for example, sometimes the best love should be tender and sometimes the best love should be tough. And knowing the difference is extremely important in life, right? And so, but what I want you to catch is the reason I'm bringing up this word love, Paul prays for love, his very first thing is praying for love. What I want you to catch is that if we're gonna understand the gospel, we have to understand that love is at the center of the story. And therefore, to live the gospel, we have to learn how to live a life of love. And it's really interesting because Paul says this in many different ways in his teaching. And this week in your life group study, if you're doing that, you'll see some places where Paul kind of teases this out. How the most important, you remember Jesus said top two things, love God, love uh, people. Paul says the same thing. And you'll see that this week, but he says it many places. But one of my favorite, because it's just so profound how he says it, is in his letter to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy. So if you remember, this letter of Philippians is from Paul and Timothy. And so Paul's in prison, probably in Rome. Timothy is not in prison with him, but he's in Rome. The letter is from Paul and Timothy. But Paul is going to be, he doesn't know this when he writes this letter, but we know it now. He is going to be released. He's not going to be executed. Um, that will come later, but he's not going to be executed this time around. Um, and so... Um, when he's released, he and Timothy will go on mission together, sharing Jesus, and they'll be revisiting some of the churches they started in the past. And one of those churches that they're going to visit is a church at Ephesus. And in the book of Acts, Paul had spent more time there, two to three years, than any other church. And it had been a very strong church. The Lord had worked really powerfully. Um, but after he's been gone now, uh, the church has gotten off track. And the reason is they have some teachers that have come in are teaching the wrong thing and emphasizing the wrong thing. And so Paul is going to return to Ephesus, it's, which is in Asia, uh, the province of Asia, today, modern-day Turkey. And he's going to go to, and, and then when he needs to leave there, he's going to go to Macedonia where Philippi is. He leaves Timothy there to kind of get things worked out, to, to kind of get this, uh, this church back in line. Um, and so uh, he writes him back in this letter, 1 Timothy, in this powerful passage. He says, I urged you when I went into Macedonia. So he had been with Timothy in the province of Asia, Turkey, in Ephesus. But then he'd gone north and uh, west to Macedonia. He said, I urge you, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. So we know exactly what that's about. There's some kind of, you know how this always comes up you know, on the internet, the Bible code, or there's something weird that comes along that's a secret of life, and, and just weird things come up. And so he says not to do that. Um, he says such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. And I love this. He says the goal of this command and I love this, what he, he's referring to the gospel as a command. Amen. This is powerful because often we think of the gospel as invitation, whoever will may come, which it is, 
But the gospel is also command. And the reason is the gospel is the announcement that God has kept his promise and he has sent the great king from the line of David to rescue all creation. And when you have the news that a new king is in town, what is the appropriate response? To bow the knee to the king. Like king don't give, they give, Jesus gives an invitation, but it's also a command. He is now Lord of the universe. And so Paul says, he says, so what is the goal? Boil it down. What's the goal of this command? What's the goal of the gospel? And look what he says. He says, the goal of this command is what? Can you circle that for me? Because so many times as followers of Jesus, we miss the forest from the trees. Boil it all down. What did Jesus say? Top two priorities. Love God, love people, love is the command. But notice what he says. He says, the goal is love, but it's love that comes from a pure heart. Okay, sincere, right? Sincere heart, uh, not wrong motives. It comes from a good conscience, which deals with right and wrong and obeying what we know is right, what we call here listen and follow, obedience. And it comes from a sincere faith, a true trust in Jesus and following him. And so he says that the goal is love, but love comes from a pure heart. It comes from a good conscience. It comes from a sincere faith. So we're gonna teach about what a sincere faith looks like. We're gonna look at what is a a good heart, a pure heart look like, and what does a good conscience look like? We're gonna teach on all those things, but don't forget the reason we're teaching on them is so that out of that kind of a heart, a heart that's pure, a faith that's sincere, an obedience that's true, that that puts us in a place of transformation where we can love. The goal is love. And so, uh, so Paul in his writings will always bring us back to that. And here's the interesting thing. This is where we get our first insight into what's happening at the church of Philippi. That what we're gonna see is this is an amazing church. They've had tremendous love, a tremendous koinonia, but what we're, what we're gonna be learning as we move into chapter, end of chapter one and chapter two, is there is some serious conflict brewing. That the church in Philippi is losing sight of the gospel. They're losing sight of what it is to live the gospel, to live a life of love, to live a life in community with one another, seeking not your own interests but the interests of others, living a life of humility and service as Jesus modeled. They're losing sight of that. So Paul at the beginning says, I'm praying for you. Remember he just heard from Epaphrodites who's traveled 850 miles to bring in this financial gift and to share what's going on. He says, I've got the report. He says, so I've been praying for you. I'm praying your love will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you can live a life that's pure and blameless, and those words, especially blameless, uh, often refers in the Greek to not giving offense to others. It's a relational term. And so, uh, in this opening prayer, we're beginning to get an idea of where this letter is going. Now, so, so number one, if we're, gonna, if we're gonna live a life worthy of the gospel, we're gonna partner with God in prayer. If we're gonna live a life worthy of the gospel, um, that we're gonna need to grow in our love, more love, 
but also better love. Now, number three, the third word is the word glory. Now, for Paul, this is the ultimate goal of the gospel. If you were to say, what is the ultimate goal of the gospel, the whole message of Jesus and God's work in the world, and what's the ultimate goal, Paul would say the ultimate goal of the gospel is the glory of God. And he'll say this over and over again in his writings, but I want you to see it here. And I want to do just a little teaching, a little sidebar here on how to read the Apostle Paul. Have you ever noticed that the Apostle Paul is not the easiest guy to follow? Man, he run on sentences, right? Uh, He would not make it in modern literature today. Editors would reject it. This is way too tough. It's interesting, it's reflected here in the English, but in the Greek too, it's this, this whole prayer is one sentence. So when you're reading the Apostle Paul, I think of it like going on a journey in a sports car. Right? And it's, you're on a windy road. And on this windy road, like if you've ever gone in the mountains, you know, like big bears, and you're on this windy back road, not the main road, but when you've, you're going off to a cabin, and you know it's like windy, and then there's all these turns in the road. And like turn here and turn there. Like reading the Apostle Paul is like going on a journey, and you, you have to pay close attention to the signposts, or you will get lost and end up at the wrong, de- uh, wrong destination. So what are the signposts? The signposts are often the connective words, right? They're the conjunctions. We would call them in English. They're, 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 that, uh, they're the adverbs. They're things like this, like the words like, therefore, so that, in order that, sometimes just that, but, but's a big one, right? Also, right, these are important. Well, when you're reading Paul, you have to slow down for the curves. And if you don't slow down, you're going to miss it, and you're going to end up at the wrong conclusions. And so what I want to do is read this carefully together, and we're going to watch the signpost, because what Paul does in this prayer, he's really praying for three different things that all connect. They're like links in a chain, that they all go together. Or let's use the analogy, if you've ever been in the Sierras or whatever, you watch, there's a, there's a series of cascading waterfalls where one leads to the next, to the next. They're all connected. You don't get to one without going through the other. So let's just, let's just do this. So let's, let's follow. By the way, this is why you cannot be lazy reading the Apostle Paul. You know, Jesus said, the Old Testament Torah said, that we're to love God with all of our heart, but also all of our what? Our minds. As a nation, we are losing the capacity to learn how to think. We don't live in a thinking society anymore. We live in a society of sound bites, slogans. But if you want to understand God's word, 
you have to love God with all your mind. So we can't be lazy, right? We've got to sit up on the edge of our interpretive seats and pay attention. So let's do that. It's not that hard. You just have to slow the sports car down, right? All right, so, so this is my prayer. So here's this prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Okay, that's the basic prayer. You're, you'd have more love and better love, okay? What's the next word? So that, okay, there you go, signpost. We're taking a right turn. Why do you want them to have more love, Paul? Why is that so important that they love more and love better? Well, because so that they'll be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness. So that if, if they grow in their love and if it's a wiser love, there's a chain reaction. They're going to make right choices. Their life is going to change. If love is your guide, you will live a life that's pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness when Jesus comes back. Are you with me? But that's not the final cascade. The final cascade is, is an easy one. And he says, the fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ, and then here we go, the, to the glory and praise of God. That's the end of the story. Why do you want to grow in love? So that you can live pure and blameless and be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Why? So you can bring God glory. I think we can understand this. You know, often this word glory is hard for us to understand. We don't think like that. Like it's got to have a big head or something and it just needs us to be praising him all the time or what's the deal? And I think that we, but if you think of just like human life, this is how we're all wired. Like if you've ever seen an amazing football catch, if you have ever been to an incredible orchestra performance or a rock concert, just blows the roof, amazing. If you've ever seen an incredible piece of art, you know what you wanna do? Number one, you want to applaud. You want, like, can you imagine, I mean, golf's kind of like this, but, um, <laughs> awesome, so nice, good. I approve, I approve. Um, anyway, but at most, most sporting events, it's like when a great catch is made, when, when, when someone hits the ball out of the park to win the game, what happens? We rise to our feet and we scream our lungs out and we cheer. Why? Because that makes the event all that much better. Like we want to be a part of that. When you see excellence, you want to praise it. But you know what? The second thing you do is you want to share it. Can you imagine being uh, in the Dodger Stadium, Kirk Gibson comes back, back in the last millennia, and, and he hits the ball out and you're the only one in the stadium. How frustrating would that be? You like turn around a high five, there's no one there. It's like, oh, go get some popcorn, talk to the guy up there, you know? Like you want to connect. And when you, have an, you witness an awesome experience, you witness an awesome accomplishment, 
When you see that, you want to share it. Why? Because that multiplies the joy. And then the last thing you want to do is you want to make sure the right person gets the credit. Like, have you ever been in a business or an organization or the military where you have some kind of, kind of buffoonish leader, <laughs> right? And some, something great happens, and then the, the leader who's been the person, like, trying, this been the biggest impediment to this great thing happening, they stand up and they take all the credit. And doesn't that drive you crazy? It's like, sit down, Mr. Bozo, you know, whatever. Like, like, that wasn't you. That was not you. That was Jim. That was Frank. That was Linda. They're the ones that pulled this thing off. You didn't sit down. Like, you want the right person to get the credit. So when you see something great, you want to applaud it, you want to share it, and you want to make sure the right person gets the credit. And the Apostle Paul says he has met the Messiah. And in the face of Jesus, he has seen the glory of God. He has come to know this creator God who has rescued us, who came after us, a God who took on human form and became a slave and then was crucified on a Roman cross, the worst death possible in Roman society, humiliated this God who humiliated himself to rescue us, this amazing creative powerful, beautiful, sophisticated, brilliant God who became nothing to love us. And Paul is on his feet and he is clapping hard and he wants us all to join in and he wants the right person to get the credit. And here's the interesting thing. As you study the writings of the apostle Paul, as you study the life and teaching of Jesus, as you study the rest of the authors of the New Testament and much in the prophets in the Old Testament, the bottom line is always that our lives would reveal to the world how awesome he is. That is the bottom line of the gospel. The gospel is about the glory of God. Amen? Amen. All right. So three, three words. Now we've got three questions. All right. So, so each word gets a question uh, to see how we're doing. So Paul's prayer, th- three, um, <laughs> three key questions. I'm just so depressed. I just looked at the clock. Anyway, um, <laughs> it just happens every week. And I just keep thinking. I keep repenting and praying for help. And, um, so uh, Paul's prayer, three questions. So number one, the, the first word is prayer, right? So here's the question that goes with prayer. Uh, is prayer a priority? It's actually kind of a two-part question. And what is your priority in prayer? Is prayer a priority in your life? And what is, a, what is your priority in prayer? And so, you know, we, we've talked about this first half of the question a lot. We, we've seen that for Paul, prayer was a top priority. Uh, for Jesus, top priority. And, and earlier this year, uh, when we went through Rooted, we went through Pursuing God, the last two series, or two of the three, uh, we talked a lot about this, how, how as followers of Jesus, if we want to be transformed, if we want to de- develop a deep and personal relationship with God, if we want to learn how to hear his voice, if we want to live by design and not by default, that it's not enough to come to church on the weekends, 
It's not enough to be in a life group. We need that three-legged stool. We need large group, small group, and one-on-one. We've talked about this a lot. And so I'm not going to go into great detail with that, but just to point it out here, how Paul is modeling, what a priority this is. If we, put it this way. If you want to live a life worthy of the gospel, prayer is an important part. Now, here's the thing. A um, couple things I want to tell you. Number one is that Paul's modeling how important it is. But number two, I want to remind you, this is not easy. And I just want to encourage you because, you know, last year as we did Pursuing God Journal, um, Pursuing God in the spring, and we ended up, I think most of us were fairly on fire. You know, we had our plan. We're going to work our plan. And I know for some of you, that was a life-changing experience. And you are on track and God is transforming your life by, because you've worked out this new rhythm of relationship and your personal one-on-one time and it's made a huge difference in your life. But I also know, and I've talked to some of you, said, you know, I was so on fire at the end of spring, and I had my plan, and then summer hit. With all the schedule changes and different things, and kids go, and, and so I kind of fell off the wagon. And I just want to encourage you that, you know, that this is not easy to develop a regular rhythm of relationship. We talked about that. It's not easy. And it's like riding a bike. And so sometimes you're going to fall off your first few times, and that's okay. You just have to get back on the bike. And so it's just, hey, we're back in fall now. Let's get back on the bike. Go back to the first couple weeks of your Pursuing God journal, review your notes, um, and we move forward. But the second, the second part of the question is, you know, what's your priority in prayer? And this is what I want to challenge you, and just to be thinking about, that we've seen for Paul his priority was spiritual transformation, advancing the gospel. Not that you can't pray about other things, I'm sure he does, but this is his priority. And so the question I'd ask for you is that when you're praying for yourself, when you're praying for your spouse, you're praying for your friends, you're praying for a fiance, someone you're dating, when you're praying for this church, a life group, you're, you're praying for your coworkers, that what are you praying for? Are you praying large or are you going small? Because it's, but prayer should take in both the big and the small. But, but you tell me, which is more important that your child passes their test this week in chemistry or that God shapes their heart and gets a hold of their heart so they have a passion for Jesus? Which is, which is more important? Which is more important, they make the football team or Jesus becomes their life? Right. And if you look at our prayer so many times, we're praying for all the little stuff and we're neglecting the stuff that really matters in the long run the most. So it's not like we don't pray for the other things. Of course, we're gonna pray for their tests, they make the team, of course, right? But even the way we look at that, how do we pray? Do we pray that our kid makes the team or do we pray that God, whatever is best for them to grow and become a passionate follower of yours, I pray that over their life. And if this will be best, I pray for that. But if this will take them off the track and making the team is gonna derail them spiritually, the last thing that we want if we had eyes to see. So what are we praying for? 
Number, number two. Second question is, how do you measure spiritual maturity? Remember, the word is love. Our second word is love. And this question, how do you measure spiritual maturity? You know, there's so many different ways. At the church at Ephesus, we saw this, that if you were to ask those spiritual teachers there, they would tell you they were very spiritually, they were very spiritual teachers. Uh, Paul goes on in that passage to say, you gotta stop these guys from teaching because they, they think they know what they're talking about and they confidently affirm they don't know what they're talking about. But if you were to ask them, very big heads. They, they thought that they were, hey, this, this stuff we're teaching, this myth and genealogy stuff, this is profound. You know, this is like the deeper wisdom, right? And so they were measuring their spirit, spirituality, but they're measuring with the wrong ruler. So the question is, when you measure your spiritual growth, when you measure your spiritual maturity, when you measure your process of transformation, what ruler do you use? And here's what I do, like let me just give you some examples. In the Christian community, sometimes we will measure our maturity by our Bible knowledge. How well do you know the Bible? Can you quote scripture? Do you know every verse? Uh, big on theology, when's Jesus coming back? You don't get Daniel, what's wrong with you? Um, you know, uh, how Daniel fits with Isaiah, fits with uh, Revelation, uh, it's all made up anyway. Anyway, um, but you know, what well, we're getting, you know, you're a Calvinist, you're Arminian, we can, you know, we can know which kind of predestination do you believe in? You know, like we're gonna, you know, it's like sometimes we can measure it by our Bible knowledge or our theology. Sometimes we measure it by our passion. How much you into worship? How high do you raise your hands? One hand or two? <laughs> do you ever go face down? Right? You ever take a knee? Right? Um, sometimes, sometimes we will measure by our participation. How often are you at church? Um, uh, are you involved in everything? You know, when the doors are open, are you there? Um, the more you're there, the more mature you are. Sometimes we measure by how much you serve. Sometimes we measure it by how much you give. Sometimes we measure how much, you, or how much you're willing to suffer for Jesus. Now, please listen carefully. All those things are good things. Oh, one I forgot, here's another big one. What are your spiritual gifts? Do you have this gift? Have you had this experience? Do you see pictures when you pray? They're spoken in that other, you know. Have you had, have you had that? You kind of in or you out? Uh, people get help well when you pray or you're just one of those people you just pray for God's will to be done. Uh, so, okay, so are you with me? Now, if you go to different kinds of groups, they're gonna have a different way to measure your spirituality. What I want you to, here's what I want you to catch. What Paul says, I don't care what spiritual gift you have. I don't care how smart you are. 
I don't care how much knowledge you are. I don't care how much you suffer for Jesus. I don't know how much you give. You can give everything you have to the poor. If you don't have love, you ain't nothing. So what we're learning today is that people that live a life worthy of the gospel are people that are learning and growing to love. And we need to measure our maturity by our love. The depth and the, are we growing in our love, but also is it becoming a wiser love? The third question goes to the word glory, and and the question is, what are you living for? We've seen today that the ultimate goal of the gospel is the glory of God, but I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy to lose sight of this, isn't it? Sometimes we think the gospel just exists for us. The gospel is about me being healthy. The gospel is about me being protected. The gospel is about my comfort or my success. The gospel is about my happiness. But we've seen today, the bottom line of the gospel is the glory of God. That God would be revealed in all of his beauty and splendor and wisdom and his majesty and his brilliance and his power through your life. And guess what? Sometimes that means you're going to have to go through hard times so the glory of God can be revealed in your life. When you say, what do you mean? Well, if you're going to be transformed so that God is reflected in your life, you're gonna have to go through hard times. That's how we get transformed. Have you noticed that? And what about this? One of the ways God is glorified the most is when we will suffer persecution for him because his value is so great. I don't care what you do to me. And as you do whatever you do to me and I am empowered by the spirit of God that in my weakness, the power of God is revealed. God is glorified. God is revealed. He is real. And guess what? That is the other big theme of Philippians. We haven't got there yet, but it's the love and the unity and it's standing firm against opposition and a persecution of the gospel. And when you have a man like Paul that we'll see next week, that he's in prison, he doesn't know he's gonna be released, retained, or executed. He says, you know what? I'm not really concerned. My big concern is that whatever happens, Jesus is exalted through my life. When you see someone say that in a life and death situation, you say, who is this amazing God that you would be willing to give your life for? He said, oh, let me tell you. And so many times when we're in the prisons of our life, those situations and circumstances, it's our health, it's our finances, it's our job, it's our lack of a job, it's our singleness, it's our past, whatever it is that we feel like is a prison and we're constantly praying for God to get me out of this. That many times we need to change our prayer instead of God get me out of this. Is God give me the strength to bring you glory through this. That others will see the glory of God in the face of Christ 
as they see me bearing up with joy in a very difficult situation in something only you could do. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Mm. Father, there's so much here. It's just so rich. And we're just so thankful. We're so thankful for the beauty of your word and we're thankful for the ministry of your Holy Spirit that unpacks it for us and speaks it with, with life and vigor into our hearts. And we, we, are, we, we are strengthened and we are empowered by your word. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be a people that learn how to pray, that we make the goal of our life to love, and that we live a life that is pure and blameless, full, packed with good fruit, because we want our lives to reflect your beauty to the world. Lord, may the prayer of our life be the prayer of Isaiah as he was going through hard times when he said, Lord, walking in your law, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Your name, your fame, may you show off in this situation. May you reveal yourself in our life so that all the world would see your brilliance and fall down in worship with us, which will be our perfect joy. And as we worship you now, Lord, we do pray that you would show us your glory, that we could live not for ourselves, but something greater than ourselves. And in that, we find our freedom and our fulfillment, our deepest joy. As we bring our gifts, our tithes, our offerings, may you meet us here. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.